0: David Suisa, welcome to my podcast. We have Yochanan Plesner today. Welcome, Yochanan. Thank you, David. Straight from Israel, from Jerusalem, who runs the Israel Democracy Institute. That's right. IDI. Right. Um, and you were right in there in as a member of parliament during a critical time of Israel. You were with the, the party Kadima. There was such a transition phase when Prime Minister Sharon did the disengagement in Gaza. You were right in the middle of all those battles, Yohanan. What was it like?
1: Right. B- basically, Kadima was the first time that a uh, centrist outfit has been created by moderates of Likud and moderates of labor and new people that were injected into politics in, in order to create a centrist outfit and to define the Israeli center. as as a political force that can lead the country. Kadima then won the election three months after it was established back in 06. It remained the largest party in 09, '09, although uh, Mr. Netanyahu then won the election and formed the government. And basically ever since, we did not have a competitive election for the premiership ever since the evaporation of Kadima. Until now, when a new centrist outfit... Is trying to has bring been, that back. Has, ...has been recently created, yeah. Because really, it's
0: been a long period now in the wilderness for the Israeli center. Yeah. Uh, and Israel has paid a price for that, has it not?
1: Yeah, I think generally political systems, it's very healthy for them to have a serious competition over power because mm-hmm. competition uh, means also competition for ideas, for competence, and... Uh, and, and the, the two, when we look, in my view also substantively, but also when we look at Israeli public opinion, the two uh, uh, postures or positions that can allow for true competition for power is in the center and in the right. The left wing in Israel is no longer um, relevant for the competition of leading a, a uh, ruling party. And once Kadima evaporated, as long as a, a, a truly broad, a centrist outfit uh, uh, was ready to emerge, there was no real competition for power. Yeah. And oh, in, in 2013, 2015, there was only the facade of a competition. There wasn't really a Right, right,
0: exactly. What I've, what I've noticed is that security is so larger than life, is so transcendent, of an issue with millions of parents who send their kids to risk their lives in wars and who have seen... Friends or family members who, who know somebody who got murdered or killed—it's such a transcendent issue. Whereas it's not here in America that I find that only when you have an incredible security guy like Ariel Sharon, for example, it's when they can trust the security guy that the center has a chance. And I think this is what what you had with Sharon yeah. with Kadima—is you know he did something that was unheard of, if where you- he evacuated you know uh, Jews. From Gaza, but only someone like Sharon could have done it, and only a Begin could have done Camp David, and only a Rabin, somebody with the real hardcore credentials of well, security. You,
1: you're totally right that Israeli public sphere and Israeli politics are first and foremost about providing security. And the left didn't figure yeah.
0: that out until too late, correct? Uh, the the, the La- Labour Party, mean, uh, they never had a Sharon. In I the mean, Labor the Labour
1: had Rabin, who, who won in the correct. early 90s, correct. and Eud Barak. Israel's most decorated soldier, who won in the late 90s, and ever since, ever he didn't have a, a a candidate that could uh, create that sense of security. And um, then we can talk about other um, stuff. Exactly. You you basically, when we deal with security, you have to tick off the security box and make Israelis feel uh, secure. And uh, and it's not just an invented fear. It's not just a sort of fake news or whatever. It's real. Uh, it's real. They're, we are the only democracy, regardless of your political view, we're the only democracy that is facing a real, tangible, existential threat. There are real people with real power sitting uh, in, uh, whether it's in Damascus uh, or uh, Tehran uh, or in Beirut or in Gaza, that are thinking about how can we annihilate the state of Israel and kill as many Jews as possible. So so given uh, the fact that uh, not only do are there existing people that are thinking in those uh, in the, in this terminology we have all the history of wars we have the history of a state that was created after the holocaust so i would never underestimate the importance of the issue of security in israeli public sphere
0: but the miracle for me okay. is that there are people like you in the middle of exactly what you've said which is literally existential threats whether no matter where you look that there are people like you and organizations like yours that are not talking about any of that but that are actually talking about the survival of a healthy democracy in Israel you know so you're not talking about building you know tunnels Uh, uh, you know, uh, this engineering feat that all related to security and the slingshot and all these military thing. You're talking about philosophical things on democracy. And that, I think, is amazing statement about Israel, that despite all the security threats, that there's a movement there to preserve a healthy democracy. Well, we didn't
1: create the Jewish state in order to uh, enable the creation of a fabulous military, which Mm. is absolutely necessary and we're proud of the IDF. I see. But the IDF is there to serve the Israeli people, Israeli society, to allow us to uh, live as free citizens and build a Jewish and democratic state that we are proud of. Defense cannot define you. Exactly. And when I entered public life or the public activities, it was... Pretty much, the decision was made almost 20 years ago. By now, I was here in, Cal- in Northern California, actually, uh, a, a young high-tech entrepreneur. I don't know. We, we never, I know those. We never spoke <laughs> about that. And uh, and then it was during the Second Intifada, 2001, 2002. And the main issue that drew lured me into uh, public activities was to defend Israel's right to defend itself in the international arena. So it's very much the issue of security that lured me into politics. But if you ask me what wakes me up now uh, in the middle of the night and, and what concerns me, is not the the security and existential threat because I think that our we have a, a security establishment and security institutions and alliances that we're proud of. We have to preserve. We have to strengthen. But we're handling the security threat. But what's happening within Israeli society? Our fractured society, fragmented society, uh, the the ensuring. A, a, the vitality of our economic institutions and, and our long-term vitality as a Jewish and democratic state that, it, that ensures freedom and equality and is and, and provides real sense and real meaning to to being Jewish and is a home for all Jews in the world those challenges are the ones that uh, keep me up at night. Give me the biggest one
0: right now that that's keeping you up at night.
1: Well it's connected to the elections. okay the election right now, are not about security because both sides have, uh, you know, c- competence and, and security credentials and obviously this is a unnecessary condition, as we mentioned. The elections right now are really about the soul of Israel's democratic values and institutions, the soul of Israel as a vibrant Jewish and democratic state. Our very, in- unfortunately, and it's difficult to imagine, but our very... Institutions that uh, that uh, are, pub- are very public institutions are under attack and are being challenged. And unlike in, say, America... Wh- is which a, institution? In, for example, independent judiciary. Mm-hmm. The fact in America, you have a constitution, you have an independent uh, judiciary, you have uh, state governments. Uh, there are many... Uh, Uh, mechanisms and institutions that ensure the separation of power. The constitution is etched in stone. Changing it is almost impossible because you need uh, uh, such broad support. In Israel, we do not have a constitution. We do not have separations of power in the sense of local governments that have some power. The Knesset is fully controlled by the government. There's only one institution that uh, serves as a restraint to an otherwise absolute power that is concentrated in the hands of a political majority. And we're seeing that increasingly that power is used sometimes recklessly and irresponsibly by the political majority. And the main target among many who are expected to be now as part of a ruling coalition, the main goal is to undermine the independence of our law enforcement uh, agencies, the independence of our uh, Supreme Court, its ability in uh, in unique extreme situations, to, uh, 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 to to change or to reverse uh, some government decisions, those uh, basic uh, uh, principles of separation of power are now being questioned and under attack.
0: Well, the argument from the other side is that they're unelected, and a lot of times they there's a power grab in the sense of. Uh, legislation from the court, so something that should fall under a Knesset jurisdiction, which is establishing laws, they feel. I mean, the argument is that the judiciary oversteps its boundaries. Is there any merit to that? I asked Tomer Persico that a couple weeks ago, and he said there is some merit to that.
1: Well, uh, in every when, when you speak about separation of powers, it means that power lies not only in one place. But in in, in in some places, in order to make sure that uh, a democratic system, the basic idea is that we do not, we have we want uh, an effective government, but we're also fearful of concentration of too much power in one place. Right. When we speak of our Supreme Court, over the last 25 years or 26 years, it cancelled about 18, cancelled or returned to the Knesset in order to the for them to be re, uh, legislated again. Eighteen times, it's one. It's less than one a year. When you look at other uh, democracies—Germany, U.S., uh, U.K., Israel's uh, Supreme Court is the least interventionist. And the Knesset, in that same period, they legislated thousands of pieces of legislation. So, so the question there's very much a, a campaign, and, and, and parts of it have obviously uh, uh, reached uh, your consciousness. Of this court intervenes and doesn't allow an elected uh, majority, right. and so on. We an elected majority has uh, the most power, and that's and they they allocate uh, funds, the government funds, and they make legislation and they decide on questions of war and peace. But ultimately, we also want a Supreme Court that can in in extreme cases um, defend minorities and each and every one of us can be part of a minority whether we are secular or ultra-Orthodox or part of the Arab minority or single mothers. Each and every one of us can be part of a a minority or sometimes the government can uh, make decisions that are not based on the law. Right, and I think we need to recognize
0: uh, some of the subtleties, Yochanan, that are in Israel that you don't find anywhere else in the world. Because, you know, the word democracy is kind of a little bit of a of a general, you know, rough word, if you will. It's not specific. For example, the right of self-determination, right? Yeah. So that is uh, a Jewish right. The creation of the state of Israel is the right of the Jews, right of self-determination. Yeah, as, correct? All, as
1: all nation states have. Yeah. So
0: the nation state law that was yeah. so controversial established that the Jews have a right to self-determination. But if you're not Jewish, you have equal rights, you have civil rights, you have economic rights, you have all those rights. But the right of self-determination is a right for Jews only. And that could be taken as an incredibly politically
1: incorrect and racist and horrible thought. Well, David, I wish that you had the authority to articulate and write down the nation-state bill. Because you are aware of the intricacies and the way it was legislated, it wasn't uh, uh, politically naive and let's do the right thing for the state. Because if that was the motivation, then you're right. Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people and only the nation state of the Jewish people as a collective. That's the essence of Zionism. But all nation states And there are nation states in Europe. As you legislate and define the character of the state as a nation state of a people, and that's fully legitimate, uh, 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 at the same time ensures equality to all its citizens. In Israel's basic laws, we do not have a constitution. We do not have a bill of rights that ensures our rights both as individuals. Yeah, but we do not have a bill of rights. We have some basic laws that are chapters of our constitution mm-hmm. that is being in, uh, in creation over the past seven, uh, 70 years and those basic laws are not secured in a, uh, in a unique uh, majority like say the the american constitution so it's a very fragile arrangement the nation state bill in as much as it's supposed to just uh, define Israel as a nation state of the Jewish people and Hatikva and the flag, there's nothing problematic. It's great, We, you know, there's a broad Jew, uh, uh, Zionist consensus around it. Where is the problem? That in the basic law that defines the character of the state, it doesn't define Israel, it defines Israel only as a Jewish state. It forgets the fact that the other side of the equation, Jewish and democratic, It doesn't mention the Declaration of Independence that dealt with all of those intricacies and defined Israel both as uh, portrayed a beautiful vision for the Zionist state and at the same time ensured equality for all of its citizens. Mm -hmm. And the word equality doesn't appear there. Now, it doesn't appear in any other of the basic laws as well. So basically, when you define, and in all other uh, nation states, in all other constitutions that define nation states, Whenever you define the national character, you always complement it with ensuring equality for all its citizens. Now, the majority of Israelis, as you mentioned, take it for granted. Yeah, Israel is a democracy and equality is ensured. Well, that's the majority of Israelis, 60 or 70 percent support equality. But it's not in our legislation. It doesn't appear neither in the nation state bill, nor in any of the other bills. It's only in the Declaration of Independence. Well,
0: according to Emmanuel Navon, Israel already has basic laws that define the separation of powers, such as basic law the Knesset, and that protect fundamental rights, such as basic law, human dignity and freedom, But Israel did not have a basic law on the purpose and identity of the state, and now it does. But
1: the basic law on human dignity and freedom, an important basic law that was legislated in the beginning of the 90s, does not include, is not a... a, a, uh, a bill of rights and it does not include equality Qu- the word equality does not appear there you know so maybe so, they should
0: have a separate one you know a basic law just for that because that would be great because the, the last one really that had would a be great uh, but as
1: long as there was no so as long as equality is not insured and you're and, and we're coming and defining Israel as a nation state of the Jewish people. Now, we at IDI, the Israel Democracy Institute, created a, a constitutional process, and we came up with a blueprint for a, a constitution. And the first chapter is basically a nation state bill. But it was achieved after a long discussion with a broad consensus, members of the national religious community, uh, members of all political spectrum. And it was basically... Uh, agreed upon with a broad, broad Zionist consensus. It's true Mm -hmm. that the Arab parties, while they could live with it, did not agree to it. Neither did the ultra-Orthodox parties. Mm -hmm. But those who passed the nation-state bill now didn't make an attempt to achieve a broad Zionist consensus. Mm-hmm. They used it as a politic, political mobilization tool just to speak to their own political base, and it's wrong to define a character of the state in such a political and politicizing and divisive you manner. You know, it's
0: it's funny. I'm uh, my ancestors were Jews in Morocco for centuries, and then I compare the rights that we had in Casablanca with the rights that Arabs have in Israel, and I say, "Olivai, oh my God." the the thought that I would have, we, the Jews of Morocco, would have the same rights that Arabs have in Israel is almost uh, impossible for me to imagine. Uh, And I see that the Arabs and the Muslims in the Middle East that have the most amount of rights, economic opportunities, freedom of speech, uh, there were 88 mosques 15 years ago in Israel. Now there are 400. That the Arabs... That with the most rights in the Middle East, live in Israel, and yet they promote terrorists in the Knesset. The Arab parties have connections with terrorist parties. There's a sense of, I think the average Israeli voters looks at that and says, what do they say, Yohanan, must speak? Uh, where's the gratitude? If you look in practice and if you look at Supreme Court decisions, then you understand that there is equal rights for everyone in in, in Israel, right? If you look at the decisions that have been handed down to the court, and then I th- I just get a sense that in Israel, they needed this law to express their Judaism, that maybe they thought it went too far in the other direction, that the fact of equal rights in Israel, uh, no matter what we hear in the press, I don't think Israel gets enough credit for that.
1: Well, you said so many things. First of all, one of the key goals, challenges of the Zionist movement is to constantly prove that the formulation of a Jewish state and a democratic it's state... is not mutually exclusive. Exactly, that, they, that both of them can live together. And when you come up with a basic law, the first chapter in our Constitution, and, it, and the word democracy doesn't appear there... I mean, it's not something that you can celebrate, and it's and it's right. not. And but by in the reality, way, though, in initial versions, in initial versions of the Nation State Bill, the word democracy was included, mm-hmm. and and in some versions also equality was included. Correct. So, but those are words, and now, then there's reality. Uh, having said that, having said that, it's not to say that uh, because uh, equality wasn't included in the Nation State Bill that it doesn't it, exist. It, it means that now Israel is like. a uh, right. The constitutional situation is like in, uh, in our neighboring Arab countries. You gave Morocco as an example. But those countries, uh, forgive me, David... Are not, uh, and I'm not trying to not make an comparison. example for
0: me. I'm not trying to make
1: comparison. Uh, we, I'm we, just thinking. I interviewed. Yeah, a, I mean, they're not a. I mean, right. we're, we 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 we're should proud, not. Uh, we're uh, proud of being a democracy. Correct. I look at the OECD countries. I look at the advanced democracies, nation state uh, states in in Europe. For me, the way the Arab countries conduct themselves. Uh, constitutionally, economically. It's embarrassing. Uh, I mean, it's, they're not an example, and I don't no, draw an example.
0: Absolutely not. The fact that the Arabs in, in Israel have more rights than they do in other Arab countries. I interviewed the head of uh, Ben-Gurion, a medical building, I forget his name, and he comes from a family of 12, and he goes around villages, Bedouin villages, and tells, look how far I came. Up here. I'm not Jewish. And he tells them that, thank God, they live in Israel, in the Jewish state, because they have that opportunity. It's I've true. seen so many of those stories, Yochanan, over the years. It's true that Israeli
1: Arabs uh, or uh, Arabs with Israeli citizenship, as they like uh, to uh, self-identify themselves, have ample opportunity if you compare them to Arabs in other states in the Arab world, but even and, in and, Israel, yeah, I, I, I yeah. spoke about Arabs in Israel.
0: No, no, I'm saying compared to other citizens, compared even to Jewish citizens. I know there's a gap. Well, I yeah. know there's a gap. I mean,
1: uh, I, I wouldn't take it that far. There, they have. Uh, ample uh, rights and opportunity. Still, if you compare in many parameters, if you compare not legally, legally there is equality uh, before the law and they yes. have their time of day in court and, yes. and their rights are protected. Yes, and, oh, and that's they Martin Luther King. Uh,
0: Martin Luther King did not change the laws. He made sure the laws were enforced. And the fact that the laws protect the minorities in Israel is a
1: huge thing for me. But but I want uh, you and and perhaps your listeners to to be aware of an important distinction. Israelis are extremely generous with respect to the Arab minority when it comes to uh, the principle of equal allocation of uh, public resources. Around 70% of Israelis say, well, we think in principle that the government resources should be allocated equally to all citizens, including Arab citizens. I mean uh, allocation to education and so on. Although we can still do a better job at implementing it, but there's support and it's in consensus among the right, left, and center uh, of of the Israeli political map. And the outgoing government made some dramatic decisions in this area, including allocating uh, 15 billion shekels in a multi-year decision to uh, uh, minimize the economic gaps. What an irony so, that
0: Bibi... So it's the, the same one, Netanyahu
1: yeah. speaks in two voices. Mm. On the one hand, his government came with, up with an unprecedented decision to minimize the economic gap. And at the same time, he's uh, responsible for divisive rhetoric yes. vis-a-vis the Arab community. Now, what is the other side of it? So economically, to support uh, uh, equal allocation, although, as I mentioned, it's still, still not... A gap. Exactly. But... When it comes to national rights, when it comes to uh, questions of uh, our Israeli Arabs and their political parties participating in national de- level decision making, when it comes to questions about the future of the country, national security, Israelis, uh, a majority of Israelis are extremely suspicious of the Arab minority. And there's an inherent challenge to our democracy because 20 percent of our population a part of their, a component of our, their identity is Palestinian. And in the foreseeable future, we are in conflict with the Palestinian. Mm. So Israelis say, well, you define yourself partially, at least as a Palestinian. We're in conflict with the Palestinians. Therefore, can I trust you? Can I not trust you? That's and Israelis a very insightful. cannot come to terms with this. Real discrepancy. I mean, yes. it's, and you appreciate that. I I think that it's there's you a. You understand it. I understand it. I can. I I I think that we have to be able to. Think beyond it. It. Exactly. I, I think, Yochanan, but, Johanna, I, but I, it's a real challenge. It's I, a it's, real it's challenge,
0: a, and I'm so glad you 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 you're honest enough to bring it up because this is very sensitive. And one of the things that always stayed in my mind on that subject is once a year they have a thing called the Nakba which is the creation of the state where I'm living in, where I have those equal rights, where I have those economic opportunities, is a catastrophe. And we give them the right to commemorate their country as a catastrophe. And I wonder if that feeds the suspicion that you talked about.
1: Look, obviously, uh, obviously the sort of mainstream Israelis look at, uh, at uh, the narrative that the Israeli Arabs are... Are telling and telling publicly, and find it very difficult to to identify with it. I mean, America is, I, I guess, <laughs> uh, ahead of us in in this openness to different narratives, and so on. For Israelis, we're still in us in a, in, a, in an existential threat. Correct. And Israelis find it very difficult. Correct. I think that what happened ever since the Second Intifada and the collapse of the uh, hope of achieving any a uh, real peace and coexistence with the Palestinians in the foreseeable future. Now we're sort of, we have some kind of a workable arrangement with collaboration with the Palestinian mm-hmm. security forces, but mm-hmm. the majority of Israelis and the majority of the Palestinians do not think that we can achieve a, uh, a two state solution in the, and some kind of peace and coexistence in the foreseeable future. That uh, affects Israeli democracy because the main rift that, uh, Characterizes Israeli society is the rift between the Jewish majority and the 20% Arab minority. And also the rift between right and left is basically around attitudes towards the question of attitude towards the Arabs and the Arab minority. So this is really what uh, 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 this is a, a major challenge and as long as we're going to have a, an active conflict with the palestinians and it looks like it's going to continue in the foreseeable future for sure you know we, we don't see it changing in the, the challenge with integrating our arab minority is huge and is important and the approach we took towards that challenge in the israel democracy institute is trying to deal as much as possible with the practical aspects the more we talk about questions of identity a narrative rather than coming together rather than coming together we right. end we end up growing apart even those with goodwill so i yeah. so i believe in focusing on economic integration creating opportunity the more we meet each other in the workplaces and, and, and have common experiences, it will be easier for us also to empathize with the other side.
0: Yeah, if I can just think out loud for a second, coming full circle with what we talked about earlier, which is the transcendent importance of security for the average Israeli, I wonder if the, that could be framed, if the issue of coexistence and with the Arab minority in Israel could be framed in that context, if in the long run, that does help security. I don't know that it does, but I think in a certain sense, one of the obstacles you face is in the other direction, that they feel that it will hurt security, if you will.
1: Of course, course a proper integration of the Arab minority will help security because you have 20% of the population. Obviously, the outcome of alienating and marginalizing such a major component of the population will have security repercussions in the end and the other side of it is the more you integrate and provide opportunity and create also uh, something that they can you know pay a price and lose and and you know Israeli Arabs are are obviously uh, very smart, and they realize that the kind of opportunities that they have in Israel, an advanced economy with a GDP per capita of almost $40,000, uh, uh, is something that they would not want to lose. Yeah. I so, think when they
0: look at the Arab parties in the Knesset, you know, and I was there, and you see them in the cafeteria, they're hanging out with Shahs, and they're having fun and all that, and then when they get on the CNN all of a sudden they malign Israel. These are members of the Knesset. If it if, if had a senate, a senator in America, that would say, that would talk about America, the way an Arab member of Knesset speaks about Israel, as if it's an enemy, I think that well, feeds into the obstacle that we're talking about, where the average Israeli sees, hey, they got equal rights, and look at how they talk about the country that's paying for their Volvo yeah, and but, protecting them in the Knesset. Yeah,
1: but but look, I served in the Knesset, as you know, for six years. And Doesn't had, it get you and I the had wrong a lot of, way and when you're but, but I think... Uh, uh, speaking of the Arab members of Knesset as one uh, big bloc. you block. know who I mean. Yeah, but but you know, that defeats the purpose, what, because there are uh, those who are very extreme, and, and essentially, I mean, they can, I, 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 I very much take pride in the fact that we have uh, freedom of speech, and that they can voice their opinions, but but I can't see any productive dialogue taking place with them. Two of them, by the way, are just leaving in the Knesset, those uh, right. members from Bala, the uh, Hanin Zuabi. And, yeah. uh, Did that rub you the J- wrong
0: way, Yochanan, when you would hear such anti-Israel talk? Well,
1: now you're touching upon a personal uh, <laughs> issue because in my political career that was about eight years of being Secretary General of then Kadima, the ruling party, and then six years in the Knesset, there was one time that I made an assertion that was not in full control and, and calculated, and... Uh, you lost your cool. In Tell a us. sense, yes. Tell us. Uh, uh, I, as w- much as you is, can say. Wh- no, whoever is interested can look it up in Google, and, and it's an assertion I made vis-a-vis uh, the member of Knesset, uh, Hanin Zuabi after she came back from uh, joining the terrorist uh, yeah. Um, yeah. a flotilla right. against Israel. And that's the only time when I sort of lost my temper, if you will, in a six-year... Uh, uh, but that's what I like about and, you,
0: Yohanan. You understand how Israelis feel. You understand the obstacles that interesting you're facing.
1: And interestingly, David, while I would not have repeated what I said then, the <laughs> I was never so popular among the Israeli public. And, and that's when I realized the problematic aspect of politics, on the one hand, when you say things well. that are reckless and um, or sort of, you know, divisive and evoking emotions and Visceral. so on, exactly, you don't play the important role that you should play as a leader, as a politician, of bringing together, of showing a sign of prudence right. and so on. On the other hand, the up, the political upside. Uh, right, it's, it's very
0: seductive. Yeah, because seductive. I was walking,
1: I couldn't enter the grocery right. store without people uh, yeah. jumping all over oh me. Oh my God! You, you returned gonna, our honor, but I must say that I could the to, of Sephardic movement. I, I I managed to um uh withstand or sort of control this uh, uh impulse uh, impulse to become extremely popular, and I didn't continue to use such terminology. But I understand it's you know, a the, the because the calculus look, of other politicians. Uh, reckless, I would imagine. Yeah, but would, uh, and it's not
0: just that. Is that uh, you know you're president of a very sophisticated think tank, and you know there's philosophy and there's strategy and there's knowledge and there's scholarliness and all that. And you can sit and talk about you know epic issues like democracy. And at the same time, though, you have that experience with the with the Israeli street, yeah, and the visceral fears that are existent there and you don't uh, dismiss it
1: yes and i think I, i'm also very proud of our people in the sense that our democracy is under real threat as we mentioned is under it real really exi- is I it mean, really uh, not our democracy i mean i mean our democracy our country our state is under real existential threat okay and under uh, although we have a, a real tangible existential threat. We still try to preserve an open, free society. It's a challenge that no other country in the world is facing. And uh, and we have a 20% Arab minority that we, on the one hand, we want to ensure full equal rights, and at the same time, they belong uh, to some extent to a, to a population that is an identified with an active enemy of ours. So we have some real, real challenges and at the same time if you compare how our democracy is dealing with those challenges the fact that you know you have a, a super uh, racist ka- a party like uh, the no, kahana jewish yeah jewish power that they cannot cross the threshold on their own now compare us to say uh, countries in europe with uh, minorities that are uh, you know uh, arab and muslim minorities that are much tinier mm. And that they're not under an existential threat and so on and so forth. And nevertheless, you see there in Europe, even in Western Europe and in Scandinavia, the emergence of populist right-wing mm-hmm. sentiments and parties mm-hmm. uh, much stronger than Jewish than in power Israel. in Israel. So we That's an in, accomplishment in itself. Yeah, that our democracy, we came from... Uh, countries all over the world with no democratic traditions. Mm-hmm. East Europe, Russia, the Arab world. Mm-hmm. And we created a democracy that we can take pride in under such pressure. So we have a lot to be proud of. And at the same time, the last thing is that we can take our democracy for granted because of those pressures, uh, because of those risks, because of the atmosphere generally now in the, in the democ- in democratic world and what some scholars label the democratic recession. So I don't oh, well. take our democracy for granted, the, the fact that we don't have a constitution, that our institutions are not independent and strong enough. So while I'm very proud of the, fact, the way we dealt with our challenges, I'm also not taking anything for granted going forward. Uh, tell
0: me the one initiative in your organization, in the IDI, that you think is the most essential right now.
1: Well, aside from protecting uh, the basic uh, values and institutions of our democracy and continuing to beef them and uh, beef them up and strengthen them, i.e., independent judiciary, uh, basic freedoms, equality. Uh, but uh, give me talkless, But, give but, me talkless. Uh, but, uh, but uh, specific. Uh, but specific. I think that I hope that uh, after the outcome of the next election, that it will be so difficult for both sides to form a government, both for Netanyahu and perhaps for Guns, that it will force them to come together and build a broad unity government, and the main agenda item of that government, and this is something that we're pushing very strongly, would mm-hmm. be electoral reform. Electoral reform mm-hmm. that will m- reduce the size of the small sectorial parties, reduce their power, and allow for uh, uh, the emergence of two major blocs. and and push Israeli politics more to the center, more to moderation. And separate church and state? uh, 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 That will, uh, it won't necessarily lead to the separation of church and state, but it will reduce the power of the religious monopoly. In this respect, it will also help strengthen the ties between Israel and North American Jewry because because of the monopoly of the ultra-Orthodox parties over Jewish affairs in Israel. Basically, the Israeli state is defining itself not as a home for 70 or 80% of American Jews that uh, uh, that do not belong to the orthodox uh, stream of Judaism. So, I mean, there's so much that can be achieved by electoral reform that that, if I have to, and, and, and we key. are the strongest proponent of reforms for our electoral system that can then uh, uh, lead to uh, uh, major achievements. And
0: for me, a key thing is if you don't have Haredi parties with, a, you know, extremist, maximalist agenda in the coalition, then that provides hope. Otherwise, you know, you have, they fight to keep Haredis out of the army. Yep. And they just, it's sort of, it doesn't help democracy at all. For me, that's a huge thing, Yochanan. So
1: I gave you a short-term challenge and, and it will connect it to a longer-term challenge that, that you just alluded to. One of the biggest challenges of Israeli society is how to properly integrate the Haredi, the growing Haredi community in all walks of life, the economy, the society. We have today around 10 or 11 percent Haredim in our population, Mm -hmm. close to 30 percent of our Jewish first graders. So Mm -hmm. there's a huge demographic vector. And since the Haredi sectorial parties have such disproportionate power, It's very difficult to instigate reform that will properly integrate them into the Jewish and democratic narrative way of life. And Mm -hmm. this is the major long-term challenge of the Jewish state in order to preserve both our values and our prosperity. Well, the great irony. And in those areas, IDI... uh, uh, if You're I, if I can say humbly, under my leadership over the past few years, is focusing a lot of its uh, mm. efforts in order to push for policies for better integration of the ultra-Orthodox minority. Well, you
0: know, the great irony is that the less political power they have, the better it is for Torah, for Judaism, for religion. The minute you force me not to do something on Shabbat, the minute you make religion coercive, is the
1: minute you create a negative reaction against religion. You're right, and you mentioned your roots in Morocco, and the model of uh, a much more moderate uh, uh, way of practicing one's religious life in Judaism uh, alongside with accepting other forms of, uh, of, uh, observance. of 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 observance, this is the model that we should see as uh, as something that we uh, uh, would like to achieve. In a sense, if you tell Moroccan uh, 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 that he traditional go to a Moroccan game Jews in on Israel, on tell them you are the real reformed Jews of Israel, <laughs> uh, they wouldn't be very happy about it. But right. essentially, this is what they are. Right, and if you tell them, I'm,
0: you know, you cannot <laughs> drive on Shabbat to see your soccer game, that, then they're going to want to drive even more. I yeah, think.
1: exactly. So you can coerce faith and religion, and this should be our model, a much more uh, moderate and accepting model that allows for people to practice their Judaism in their own way. The Jewish state should not define uh, in what way one should practice one's Judaism, but should enable all Jews to be Jews in their own unique way.
0: Right, and I think also the issue of conversion, you have hundreds of thousands of Russians, especially, they've made it so difficult. I'm glad that's a big priority. But all of these, we have solutions
1: at IDI and expertise and solutions for all of those areas. But the root cause, if I have to select one policy remedy that will enable those changes, it would be electoral reform.
0: Wow. Well, on that note, I want to invite you to keep sending us a progress report on how you guys are doing. Sure our, thing. Our readers are very interested and I wanna thank you for going out of your way, coming into the studio, Zahanan and uh, good luck in all your initiatives.
1: Great, thanks for having me. My
0: pleasure.